Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Great. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Jet Centric Podcast. It's Liz here, and I am joined by Scott Billick today. So, Scott, super great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time out of your evening to chat with me this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Super. So um, before we get into the whole, whole hockey bit, I wanted to let you know that for the past whatever 10, 11 months, I have not once checked the government of Manitoba's website for anything COVID related. Right. People are like, oh, what are the cases today? They should have come out about 20 minutes ago. I'm like, okay. They're like, what are you looking up? I'm like, oh, I'm on Twitter. I'm looking up Scott Billick's Twitter. That's my, <laughs> so how has it been uh, covering what should hopefully be a once in a lifetime kind of uh, event this past year? Yeah, I mean, kind of everything, you know, every kind of emotion at times, uh, you know, frustrated, angry, sad, happy, um, you know, just kind of everything, really. It's been difficult at times, for sure. It's uh, other times, it, you know, if we think back to last summer, when we had went almost a full two weeks without new cases, it was pretty, pretty boring to cover because there wasn't much new happening. And everybody was kind of more looking forward to things opening up than, uh, you know, then, then the rest of it. And then, you know, October, November hit and it, it really goes haywire and things start to get real for a lot of people. And you kind of realize that, you know, Manitoba, despite our geography and whatever, we're not immune to, um, you know, these types of things happening to us on, uh, you know, in our little province here. And um, yeah, so we took a pretty good beating uh, in those couple and final three months of the year. And you know, it's been interesting because I was on, I was on the, it was March 11th was the final game that the Jets played in Edmonton. And I was in Edmonton covering the game. And, um, uh, you know, during the first period of that game, it goes from, you know, everything's kind of whatever. You don't really think about COVID too much to, uh, you know, the one player from the Utah Jazz testing positive. And then like everything kind of the whole narrative of the night shifted. Nobody really kind of cared about the game. The Jets won the game. I believe it was 4-2 that night and put them into the first wild card spot. I only remember that because, you know, you kind of remember some of these big moments, I guess. I mean, you know, the next morning you didn't know that the league was going to shut down. um, And then it did. And, you know, I was on a 6 a.m. flight from, Edmonton to Calgary and then I was stuck in the Calgary airport until about 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. Um, just trying to figure out how to get home after the cancel so, well, not canceled at that point they had paused the season and so and then from there I came home and had a couple of days off and I was on the COVID beat and have been ever since and hockey's kind of been a, an afterthought even during the playoffs there in the summer just played four games had a couple of weeks before that and that was it and then obviously now the season's back up and running again and that's it's great, but it's different. Um, you know, even going to the games now, there's nobody in there. It's everybody's used to, we used to be like crammed next to each other. I mean, some press boxes across the league, you can barely move. Now we have like six feet of room between all of us, which is nice. But at the same time, you know, you're wearing masks. It's hard to talk to the person next to you still because um, they pump in crowd noise and stuff. So it's, it's weird. And, you know, covering COVID too on top of it kind of, yeah, it's been a nice little outlet to have hockey back, but uh, definitely been a weird last uh, almost a year now. I think it's a looking at the calendar here. It's the the 10th today. So, I mean, in a month, <clears throat> it'll be a year anniversary. Well, a month and two days, be a year anniversary since the first two cases were reported here in the province. And yeah, it's been a been a bit of a whirlwind ever since. Yeah, I don't doubt it. It's uh, yeah, crazy how it can change 
your life in so many ways and you're talking about yeah how it's you know your job to to cover it to cover the beat there and then but then it affects the other part of your job too with the hockey aspect of mm-hmm. it and stuff so it's just yeah so um well let's get into the the whole hockey bit here so um yesterday like at the point where we're recording this yesterday was Pierre Dubois first game so uh, a lot of people were on the edge of their seats watching that one yeah. ended up not you know winning which is fine but there were probably some positives to take away from him um you watched the game I'm sure and you yeah. have probably some things to say about him or anyone else um what do you got for me yeah I mean you know Pierre-Luc Dubois first game was kind of what you'd probably expect from a guy who hadn't played hockey in three weeks um you know roughly yeah 20 some odd days um guy who had been stuck at home uh you know in, in in a house here in the city quarantining for 14 days where wasn't even on the ice. I mean, there's no ice available to him. He, had, he couldn't go anywhere because federal restrictions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, there was points in the game. The first period wasn't great, um, but the second and third, um, you know, he started to get his legs under him again. Um, I, there was the one play, uh, I, I want to say it was in the third, maybe it was in the second, about, I don't remember, but it was, you know, you, you saw the burst of speed from him trying to turn the corner on a Calgary defenseman to go to the net. You know that that'll get there. Um, and, and then he saw physicality from him. He, you know, he he lined up Dylan Dubé and hit him. Hit him pretty good. And it was a solid kind of. Didn't look like a big check, but the way that he hit him, it kind of seemed to stun Dubé a bit, a little bit. There's that there for him. I mean, he's a he's not a small guy. He's well over six feet. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure he's over 200 pounds. Uh, he's he's not you know a small guy, um, but he can really move and. You know, it just does all the little things right. And, and, and partly you don't really see that yet because, you know, it's one game in. And and like he told us yesterday before the game, um, he was talking about, you know, it's just it's difficult. He feels like he's still in training camp or in the preseason, whereas, you know, everybody else is in kind of game 15 of a year. And that was before yesterday's game. So a little, little, yeah, just I, I, I saw – what you kind of would expect. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't everything that he's capable of and it wasn't expected to be. And, you know, from there, I imagine these next two games against Ottawa will, um, I mean, the Jets were off today, but even, you know, just playing again tomorrow, now a little more familiar with systems, a little more familiar with who you're playing with, the guys you're with, how they communicate, all that stuff, little things that you don't really think about that, that kind of players have to, kind of learn um you know it's like going to a new job you still got to learn the job whatever it is even if it's the same job just different people just how people kind of interact with each other and all that so i assume that uh you know next two games against ottawa you'll see a lot more of what uh pld is uh, capable of for sure right yeah and there have been some good interviews with him and stuff like that and he actually yeah i was watching they only show clips of the interviews on tsn unfortunately so you don't always catch them all but he didn't sound impressed with his game at all yesterday (laughs) which was you know and like you said like it's probably no one was expecting him to be at the ceiling of what Pierre-Luc Dubois can be right because yeah he's been rusty it's been it's a brand new environment for him Uh, Murat had this one tweet where I guess when Cal Connor and Dubois ran into each other he called it new guyitis or something like that yeah yeah, yeah, you kind of gotta you know it's it's it is what it is, but um, the fact that he was unimpressed with his game after that, even though I didn't think he was awful by any stretch, you know, it yeah. shows that he's excited to be the best player he can be kind of thing, as corny as that sounds, right? So, yep. yeah. No, so he's, kinda... he's invested in the game, and I think he's rejuvenated coming out of Columbus there in the situation he was in. So, um, and, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, a, a 
former third or overall pick who, who's used to taking, you know, he, he knows how to take a bad game, knows what to say after it and, and knows what he needs to do better. And, and those are all good things. Uh, you know, he's, it's weird to say that he's a veteran, even though he's only 22, um, but, or maybe 23 now, I don't remember. But, um, you know, at that point, you know, he's already played as many seasons as Patrick Laine has. Actually won less because I don't think PLD played the first year. So, um, yeah, but, you know, he, he, he talks like a cap. He kind of reminds me of Mark Shifley when Shifley finally made it into the league. Um, just the way he talks about the game, the way he talks about himself. Um, you know, he knows, yeah, he knows, he knows how to handle everything. Uh, good games, bad games, all that kind of stuff. So it's good to see for the Jets. Right, yeah. And he, so, yeah, like you'd said, that he he actually has one less season under his belt than Line does because he played an extra year in the QMJHL. And he was actually traded. He barely played. He played with uh, Blaineville at the end of his last year there, but right. he didn't play with them a lot. He was traded um, from Cape Breton, and he was talking about how he's, you know, used to the whole trade thing. So I we did a trade episode, so we're not going to get into that whole thing again. Yeah. Um, but... There, there is a lot to be said about, um, you know, a new player like this coming into this environment that some people think seem to have almost warded off um, someone like Patrick Lining and others over the years and stuff like that. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit and talk about um, anything that you've observed or ideas that you might have about kind of where on our end this trade might have come from even the Roslovic piece and the Lining piece as well kind of just jump right into that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Rossvik piece to me was like, okay, well, if you need a sweetener, and, and like, I understand that the, the view of Jack Rossvik here was that, you know, here's a, a player with a ton of skill, but never really kind of reached his potential. And with this team, and given the top six that they had, um, there never really was the opportunity for him to kind of break into that. Now, you look at Columbus and see him playing first line, top center, right role with Patrick Liney on his line and think, oh, you know, well, why didn't they do that here? Well, Mark Shifley was the reason why they didn't do it here. And Brian Little also, and before he got injured last year, was the reason why they didn't do it here. And, you know, there's this balance. I, I understand that fans want, you know, these young players to play. It's the same thing with Billy Heine. It was the same thing with Sammy Nuku. It's the same thing with a lot of these guys, right? Because they see players that they perceive to be less, you know, less skilled and, you know, less on the analytical end of things and all that. And they wanted in, but, you know, it, there was times where Jack Rossovic also wasn't, um, you know, it, it, he just wasn't as engaged as, as it maybe he should have been. And Paul Maurice has pointed this out several times, but, he, you know, it's not, and, and Paul doesn't, and I know you want to talk about kind of the, the Wheeler thing and, and that what happened with him. And Paul's, Talk, called out Jack Rolf, Jack Rosovic on several occasions, um, and, and there's been somewhere. You, you know, I mean, he right threw him under the bus uh, for what he did, and it was a bit of a tough love thing with Rosovic that you don't see with a guy like Wheeler or Shifley or whatever. It's always just glowing defense, you know, glowing things to say about them and, and staunch defenses uh, from 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 Paul. So yeah, you know, it's interesting, but I guess you know. If you look at Roslovic and you look at a guy like Kyle Connor, uh, and you look at the way that they've both handled kind of being sent down, being in the minors, uh, fighting for ice time, there was two different ways that both these guys did it. And, you know, Kyle Connor, I, I believe, did it the right way. And we can say what we want about Kyle Connor's defensive game, but, uh, you know, he, he adapted to the league better, I think, than Jack Roslovic did. And at the end of the day, I mean, 
whatever happened at the end of the day, you know, over the summer, Jack Rosswick wanted out, the Jets were shopping him. They never figured out a deal for, for him. You know, I don't, just don't believe the market was there for him for what the Jets probably would have wanted for a former first rounder. Um, but, you know, when it came to, it's interesting on big superstar deals, like the one that just happened, it, it, you don't see them very often. And, you know, if it took giving Jack Rosovic away uh, or adding him to the trade or whatever you want to you want to say about it, I mean, I think that was probably the right thing to do to get a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois. You know, you have a guy who hadn't even signed a contract yet in Rosovic, who was still sitting at home in Columbus, wasn't playing, wasn't likely going to play for your team again, and you're just kind of waiting for some team to come along and make a deal for him. You know, at that point, it's like, well, maybe, you know, and obviously the Jets ended up having the best offer for, for lining. Um, and I think Rosswick was a, played a part in that. I think for Columbus, it made a lot of sense to bring the hometown kid home and, and let him play. I mean, you turn this kid into kind of an ambassador for you. He's the guy who's playing for the hometown team. You know, it's, it's, it'd be like if Jonathan Taves, Taves came to Winnipeg in his prime or, you know, Andrew Harris comes to Winnipeg and, for the Bombers and wins a great cup here. I mean, you know, these are dreams that teams have where it's the kind of, you know, there's a lot of marketing. There's a lot of good things that you can do with that. So, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think it was wrong for Kevin Shoveldayoff to put Jack Rosovic in that deal because you weren't really going to, you're never going to really use him anyways. Like I, I think the writing was on the wall for both sides there. It just wasn't going to work here. And, and, you know, then all of a sudden Pierre-Luc was available and, you know, there was rumblings about it, but you never think that, you know, you're going to trade a, a right wing for, for a top line center. And eventually you ended up doing that. Um, and, and line A goes and, and it happens. And I think a large part of it had to do, I don't think that trade happens one for one. I think the Jets would have had to offer somebody else in that deal to get back because just the way that the market dictates these things. And, and I know there's, that's not always um, something that everybody agrees with, but, you know, here's a third overall pick for a second overall pick. Sure. But the people, GMs even value centers over, you, you listen to Kevin shovel day off after it. I mean, he valued a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois. He wanted a couple he wanted him. He coveted him um, because, you know, here's a guy that will essentially solidify your top two lines going forward the only irony here was or one of the irony ironic things to me was you know you spent the last like two or three years trying to find a center for Patrick Liney and you end up doing so but you end up shipping Patrick Liney for that guy um but you know the, the idea with Liney you know it, it was it didn't you know he didn't I don't know if he didn't fit in I don't know what it was you, you we've heard all sorts of reports right um reports rumors not you know nothing really substantive substantive when it comes to to line a what happened in the room whatever we obviously know that there is a, a certain culture that's displayed here or you know a mold that players are, are asked to fit um and, and you know i guess when you think about it more if you i don't know if you listen to andrew cop last night but he was just kind of talking about how pierre lucois like just like fit in the room like he was already there and, and i know like I know fans and people just don't always put a lot of stock into that, but like, I, you know, I, I think we've seen in the past, not just in Winnipeg, but when there's like a divisive player in the room or, you know, things just aren't working out, well, the team suffers. And 
And I know players just say, well, this is just the business side of hockey or whatever, but no, it's not because sometimes it gets in and, it, and you know, it kind of festers in there and, you know, a guy's not playing the way he's supposed to, or he wants out. And so he's just not, he's, his head's not all there. And, you know, there's a lot of guys who have long contracts that are trying to win. And there's this one guy who's trying not to, you know, not, not trying not to win, but, you know, just it, it, he's not all there in terms of, you know, it, it, it compete and the buy-in and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it is what it is to me. I, I think, I don't think there was a better trade. I don't think there would have been a better trade out there for Kevin Day off. I mean, I mean, you could have waited for another couple of years to try and find the right one. Maybe you get a top four defenseman. And obviously, I mean, that's, you know, this team still needs that. Um, I think we can all agree that, you know, the defensively, this team still struggles um, and top four defenseman would help. But you also have guys like Billy Heinle, Dylan Sandberg, even, you know, Declan Chisholm, other guys in the system that, 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 that are coming up. So there will be, that's still coming, but you can't, and I know Cole Perfetti is also, you know, he could be the, the future second or even top line center in this town. Uh, you know, depending on what happens with Mark Shifley, um, you know, several years down the road when his contract uh, runs out, but it, it's so rare that you can get a young top line center like Pierre-Luc Dubois um, and, and, and get him for, you know, basically a, a trade of players, all three players who wanted kind of out of their situations and wanted different, you know, different, uh, different scenery. And, you know, so at the end of the day, to me, it's, I know people judge, you know, whether or not the trade was won by either side based on who signs long-term. I think that's the big one right now. And then, you know, who leads their team to better success. But at the end of the day, you, you've pretty much, you, you've made the best possible trade that you could probably drum up. And I know there was talk about Carolina, maybe Brett Pesci. I don't think that those players are on the same pedestal as a, as a Dubois or a Lightning. And I, and I don't think Chevy was ever going to win a trade by trading for maybe a you know a, a, a second pairing defenseman and then a prospect or whatever because you just don't know but here there is risk because you know you still need pld to to, to sign long term but at the same time i think um you know you, you you've brought in a guy who's probably going to fit the system better than you thought you, you know he's just they've just had different mindsets and lining was a little more laid back i thought that was one of the the best things about Lainey, at least, at least for us or in the media, because he would kind of tell you what he was on his mind and, and, and all that. A lot of players in the Jets room don't really do that. I mean, Andrew Kopp maybe being, a, you know, an outlier there, um, Blake Wheeler from time to time. But, um, yeah, I think I, I just – I have this feeling that Pierre-Luc Dubois just fits better into the room just based on how he, how he approaches the game. And you kind of talked about a little bit just the way he even talks about his game last night, all those types of things like – I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's hard to kind of, you can't, you can't quantify it with analytic. You can't, it's not there, but he just, it seems like it's just a better fit right from the get go. And you know, we'll see what happens down the road. But um, yeah, I mean, the Ross Lickfeast throwing that in, it is what it is. It's part of doing business in the NHL and, and, you know, the Jets got who they wanted and, and gave up two players that probably weren't going to be here. And, this year or in the next couple of years, if, if, you know, they managed to work out a deal. So, um, you know, I think everything happened in, 
in it was such a good marriage between both teams for the trade to happen and it ended up working out yeah yeah and it's um you know there's always the emotional piece of if you're losing your favorite player if you really like some of these guys kind of thing but what what better return were you going to get for Patrick Laine, especially yeah. as you get closer to the end of his contract, right? When his value, dare I say, drops a little because people know that you're in a bind, right? So it's exactly. It, but with going back to what you're saying about how Dubois is fitting in better in a room, that's that's good because that means that things are likely to work out a little bit better than for someone who doesn't fit in the room, right? Like that's just the way it is. But would you say that there's an issue with Patrick Line or an issue with the room where you just cannot make it fit? Or is it too gray of an area to really say one way or the other? Yeah, I think it is a bit of a gray area because you just don't know. Like, I mean, if I was to say that Patrick Line didn't fit in the room, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't know that for certain. So I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable saying it because I don't know. Um just based on the way that he approached the game, the way he said things and the way, let's say like Shifley or, or Wheeler or Andrew Kopp or those, you know, maybe, maybe because it's just different things, but, you know, I think a healthy room also has different kind of uh, mentalities into it as well. Right. You buy all, all buy into the same idea, the same goal, whatever it is. Um, but you can still have people, different personalities. I still, you think you have that with a guy like Andrew Kopp with a guy like Nick Ehlers, um, you know, there are still different personalities in there, but uh, you know, sometimes some guys just don't gel. Um, and some guys just don't gel together. Uh, I don't, again, I don't know exactly what entirely led to Patrick Liney wanting out. Um, you know, part of it's been reported that he wanted to play on the top line. Part of it is wanted more ice time. Part of it wanted to, uh, maybe play in a bigger market. I, I don't think he, you know, arguably he's not really doing that in Columbus, but you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it didn't, it just didn't work out. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I think it's hard to reconcile for a lot of people because, you know, like you, you talked about earlier, I mean, here's this prolific goal scorer who's one of the best shooting talents in the NHL, if not the best. I mean, I would put him, he, he's in, in terms of shooting, he's in the same role as Alex Ovechkin. And there's only two people that can shoot like that, him and, and Ovi. So, um, but you know, having a guy like Line doesn't always necessarily equate to, you know, winning, right? You have to, st- it is still a team game at the end of the day. Um, you know, Patrick Line can score 40 goals, 50 goals and, 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 and put up a hundred points and it's still not going to work. You know, it's, you're still not going to have playoff success or whatever. I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, you kind of have to look at, you know, what does your team need to move forward and you know arguably they weren't really moving forward with lining but i don't know if that was lining's fault either i mean i think you know the defensive issues with this team are on you know by and large on the coaching staff and the gm for not getting those right pieces together but um yeah uh, you know i think there's some gray area there because it's hard to know exactly what happens and you, you never really find out exactly what happened everybody has their own story time you know you introduce time into it before people tell these stories and you know history gets rewritten a little bit in in that and so you never really know exactly what happened um you know to me it's like any you know relationship that disintegrates after a time it's it's kind of a snowball effect a lot of different things kind of play into it and eventually you know two sides decide to go separate ways and you know i think that's what happened here and yeah, it's just, you know, I think for both sides, it turned out that um, it was just the right time for both of them. And and they were able to find strike a deal that made sense for both. But, 
Yeah, it'll be interesting one day if, you know, if Liney ever talks about it or, you know, Wheeler or Shifley or Paul Maurice or Kevin Shovedap or whoever, right? Like anybody kind of in the know of what would happen there. But um, until then, I don't think we'll even, you know, even in then, if we do get the story, it probably won't be all of it. It's one side and that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And I, yeah, I completely understand fans losing line. Yeah, yeah, the, I mean, I remember the, <laughs> the day when he was traded and, 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 you know, everybody was like, what's going on. Right. Like I, I remember 2016 when during the rookie camp and we all dubbed it line mania and it was an absolutely just a complete gong show um, in terms of fandom for this, for this, you know, at that point, 18 year old kid. And so, um, you know, that, that's the weird part that, you know, even seeing him in a, in a Columbus Jersey, that part's weird too. It's, it's just weird to see, you know, him and, you know, a different, you know, different threads and, uh, but at the same time, you know, that's the game. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it happens. Uh, and, you know, if, if Pierre-Luc Dubois brings more success to this team, I, I think that's when guys like Lani are, are forgotten in the sense that, um, not not forgotten as as like a player or their impact on the city or anything like that, but just forgotten in the grand scheme of of success. I mean, if the Jets win a Stanley Cup with Pierre Luc Dubois, sorry about that, um, they're not going. You know, it, it's going to it's not going to matter that you traded Liney because eventually you reach the end goal of winning a Stanley Cup, and and you know at, at that point the move and um, subsequent moves later on um, to get there will be. Um, you know, those were what will be judged on the success of this team and not just trading Patrick Liney or losing a guy like Patrick Liney. Yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to take a quick pause just in the middle of the episode here just to let everyone know that we are super excited to have a new sponsor of Jet Center Podcast. So Vertical Adventures is uh, Winnipeg's premier indoor rock climbing gym. Uh, they're very focused on providing a fun, vibrant, inclusive environment so everyone can reach new heights. Uh, they have very meticulous COVID protocols in place. So visit uh, their website at verticaladventures.ca uh, for more information and to book your reservation. So we'll be talking about that more on Twitter. Lots of uh, contests and stuff to come. Yeah, so you have, um, you know, like you said in 2016, like it was just, it was a really big deal to have this guy here, whatever. And like, whether or not you have a trade that you end up winning and stuff, there is a guy who didn't necessarily want to be here and fans care about their hockey team and they're very invested in everything that happens. So you can't blame them when they start looking at other players who have had maybe less, um, you know, some messier exits or we speculate that or whatnot. Like, yeah. Is there something to be said about having players leaving um, that has a little bit more of a substantial, like there's more substance to it than just people tweeting their ideas, their thoughts, their conspiracies and stuff. Do you think there is something there or is that just something that people like to latch onto because they don't want to accept that there might be X, Y, Z reasons why people don't want to be here? Yeah, it's an interesting subject because, you know, at the end of the day, you don't really know why a guy doesn't want to be here. Like, you know, if you take it at face value, Jacob Trouba wanted out, you know, because his, his girlfriend, I believe now wife, um, you know, was going to med school. And, you know, she, he wanted to be able to be there for her and that sort of thing. There was also other reasons uh, as well. Um, you know, uh, Vander Kane, uh, you can look at Dustin Bufflin, even though that's, you know, to me, that's a completely different scenario. Um, you know, there's been other guys, uh, Liney, obviously, that sort of thing. Um, it, is it, 
is it the market? Is it the city? Is it, you know, the cold weather? What is it? Like, I mean, it, it's not, it's not the spectacle of New York. It's not, you know, the spectacle of Toronto. It's not the warm weather of Tampa or the, you know, the tax-free states like Florida or, or Texas or Nevada. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it's, I want, I want to say Winnipeg's probably an acquired taste for players. Um, you know, you just don't see the same. It, it's difficult to sign free agents here. Um, you know, I, 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 we've seen that. Um, it's not that Kevin Trevaldale hasn't kicked the tires on a lot of guys. Um, but I mean, if you're going to try and sign like an Alex Petrangelo over the summer, um, you're going to have to overpay for him. And, and then at the same time, you still have to, you know, agree to get him here, right? Like, I mean, he has to, at the end of the day, sign the contract to come here. And, and so it's different. And then there's the, you know, is it the room? Is it the captain? Is it, that stuff's all speculation. Um, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that. I mean, I think if you build a winning culture or you're winning or you build a winner here, um, people will come regardless. Um, you know, if the Jets were a perennial contender, uh, I, I think you could get the right players here. Um, I think a guy like Paul Stasny waves his no trade clause in 27, 2018 to come to Winnipeg because he believes that he can win a Stanley cup here. Um, and you know, there, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come to Winnipeg. He had stayed in St. Louis. Um, he could stay in St. Louis for another year after that or sign, re-sign a contract and won a cup. Um, you know, he went to, to Vegas the next year because, and maybe he went to Vegas for the money, but I honestly think Paul Stasny goes to Vegas to try and win a cup because you see how close they got that year, losing to that team, playing for that, you know, against that team in, in the Western Conference Final. And, and then comes here or, and then goes there and, and tries to kind of emulate the same success that they had uh, the season prior. Um, you know, I think if the Jets were a 50 win team every season, even a 45 win team every season, you know, if you could do it consistently, um, I think you would get the names here. Um, this team is also a team that's, you know, prided itself in the, the draft and develop philosophy and, you know, that, that whole, those three words, uh, draft and develop, you know, it, it elicit a little, you know, uh, it depends on the wide range of emotions among fan, of the fan base. Um, and, and there's been times where you can't retain the guys that you draft and develop. I mean, you look at a guy like Lion A or you look at a guy like, uh, to, to a lesser extent, uh, Vander Kane, because he was drafted by the, the Thrashers or the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, but you look at a guy like Jacob Truba, couldn't retain him. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, I, I've written that Chevy needs to be more aggressive. I've written that, you know, uh, you know, he's essentially won two playoff series in his time here. You know, it's been a decade now. Um, you know, this is a league. This is a business where it's what have you done for me lately? And, uh, and a lot of it is, you know, other than, you know, moving pieces around, you know, drafting some, you know, quality young prospects. You know, at the end of the day, they haven't won anything. Um, you know, they they had a little uh, cup of coffee in the playoffs a couple seasons ago, and then that's kind of been it uh, for the most part in terms of, you know, any kind of inroads uh, on your way to a Stanley Cup. 
Um, and, and so, and, and then they've sort of been, they've almost hit this reset button again. And it's probably the third time now that they've done this um, where, you know, the team got younger again and now you have talent, but then you run into the issue of, well, you got aging veterans and, and really young players and, and, you know, what does that lead to? And, and so that, that's an interesting part of it too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what players think when they look at Winnipeg. Um, you know, is this a, a destination that you want to come to? Is this, you know, is it just something you see this cyclical thing where, um, you know, they, after a, a few years, you go back to the, you know, the, the youth well and start drafting again. I don't know. I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a winning team in a city, I don't think it matters where that city is. The players will go to it because, or at least players that want to win will go to it. I mean, obviously there's outliers out there. There are players out there that just want to get paid and they don't care where they play. And it doesn't really matter if they win or not um, because they, they want to make money. And, and, and there's a lot of money to be made in this league. Um, but I think, you know, guys who want to win will go to teams, will waive their no movement, will waive their no trades, whatever it is. We'll go to teams like Winnipeg, um, anywhere else even, you know, if it's a winning team. And I think that's kind of where it ends for me. If the Jets build a winner here, you'll see big, bigger names come here, whether it's, you know, as rentals or whatever it is, or even if it's just a team that's strong, like, you know, you look at a, like a Vegas team where they can get all these players. Sure. It's, it's a nicer destination, obviously, but I, you know, I think, you know, the Jets can be in the running for some of these players in free agency um, if they, they're a proven winner and, and that takes time, obviously, and it's not here yet, but, so we'll see what happens. Um, and then the whole culture in the room, I, you know, it's, it, that's an interesting subject. I know. Um, yeah. I know you want to talk about kind of the Blake Wheeler, Paul Maurice kind of uh, his defense of, of Wheeler after we were kind of, I don't want to say grilling, but at least questioning Wheeler's play earlier on, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago now, or last week at least. And but I, I think those things are endearing to players who it's interesting. I'm not trying to defend what Paul Maurice does and what a lot of what Paul Maurice did in the Wheeler situation was more of an effort in misdirection than anything to try and take the heat off his captain and put it on, on Paul Maurice's comments, you know, to try and, you know, kind of shift the narrative or shift the news story or whatever. Um, but Paul Maurice has been, you know, there's a lot of ex-players, players who used to have played with him, current players that say that, you know, I, I remember Blake Wheeler saying, like, he would do anything. You know, he would run through a wall for Paul Maurice, essentially. Um, I, and I think that's, there's a reason why, um, you know, I think players are drawn to that at, at times. If, if you're a coach's or a player's coach, you know, people are drawn to that. If you look at the situation in, let's say, Columbus with John Torello, who's Torello is not really a, I wouldn't call him a player's coach by any means. Um, you know, he runs his own thing his own way and a bit of a dictatorship, I would call it. And, um, you know, he's won the Jack Adams twice in the Stanley Cup once, but it, it, you also don't always see a lot of players saying or wanting to even play there um, at times because of kind of how, probably a little bit about how he handles things. Right. And so if you have a guy, and I think where Paul Maurice, the whole thing with him comes in is that, you know, he, 
for the lack of the term, will coddle his, his veterans, um, but won't do that to his younger players, or some of them at least. I mean, he's called out Nick Ethers before, Ross Levick, called out Kyle Connor before, Lion A. I mean, there, there's guys that he's called out before, but very rarely have I ever, if ever, I've ever seen him call out Pat, or, or Blake Wheeler. Don't think it's happened much, if any times, with Mark Shifley. Um, you know, even other guys kind of before him, like it, 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 there, there's some sort of, I don't want to call them untouchables in Maurice's mind, but, you know, guys who, you know, Maurice will do whatever he can to kind of defend these guys. And, and I get it. I mean, one's your captain, one's your assistant captain, one's your top line center, and one was your top line right wing. Um, both kind of exude the things that, Maurice Lakes in terms of leadership, playing a certain style of game, that sort of thing. So, like, I get that. Um, I guess where I think sometimes where Paul Maurice falters a little bit is kind of maybe allowing different styles in, different thought processes, I suppose. Might not be the right word, but, you know, just different mentalities. In. And, and maybe, I don't know, like we talked about earlier, that might be a reflection on the room as well sometimes. And, you know, again, that's just it's speculation because we just don't know. But, yeah, it's an interesting it's, – it's, it's interesting how – how these things work. Um, and, and I think that, again, it's very t difficult to know, um, but there's a certain way that this team wants to do things and a certain way that the leadership in this, this team kind of, um, I guess, you know, their expectations things. I mean, I, I think of Blake Wheeler as a guy who learned probably a little bit from Zidane Char in Boston, um, how to lead a room how to win a Stanley Cup, how to, you know, those things. Because, I mean, obviously, Blake Luther wasn't there when they won the Cup, but he was there for most of the season until he was traded. And, and saw just kind of how Zidane Ochara, um, you know, kind of ran things. And just how that room was ran with veteran players, Perdidis Bergeron, and how they dealt with younger guys like uh, Brad Marchand at the time or, uh, you know, even a Tyler Sagan or, or even a Blake Wheeler at the time, right? Um, so... Yeah, I, I don't know how much of that carries over. I've asked uh, Blake about that before, and I think he takes, you know, a lot of things from different things and then does his own thing. He learned a lot from Andrew Ladd, who, um, you know, uh, he, I see a lot of Andrew Ladd and Blake Wheeler and how he, he kind of deals with us in the media um, and that sort of thing. But it, it's just a, it, it's the way it is here. I mean, that's the culture, unless you get rid of some of those guys. Um, and I can't imagine them ever getting rid of, you know, Mark Shifley or Blake Wheeler or whatever. And I don't know if that necessarily would help the team or anything like that. I mean, these are still um, two talented players, especially Mark Shifley, of course, and Blake Wheeler. I mean, it's up in the air whether he's injured, whether he's lost a step, whatever it is. Um, but um, I think you've seen buy-in from a lot of players, and like like a Kyle Connor or Nick Healers or whatever. And I think even Andrew Kopp I mean guys uh, I think there's an allowance there for guys to lead in that room um, and you see it in some other players as well just the way they talk and that sort of thing so I'm hesitant to say if it's a culture problem here I don't really know I mean that's that's kind of the thing is uh, and what, what does that look like like what is a problematic culture what does that look like I mean what what does that you know what what tangible kind of things does that uh, does that yeah, what does it look like, I guess, is the only thing that I 
would say, and, and, you know, I'd have to be able to compare it to what it was in a different time or, or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, it probably sounds like I'm sidestepping some of these things, but it's not, it's just, it, it, it's, it would be irresponsible of me to kind of just attack something that I don't know that is a problem or not, or if just some guys just don't fit and, and what the reasons were for other guys not fitting. So yeah, that's kind of in a long winded answer kind of, um, yeah, where I'm at with that. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, like it's, it's all speculative, right? Cause if there was an actual proper answer, like a black and white, we would have founded by now they would have said yep. it and it would just be the reason there's so much conversation is because it's just you don't know um and so you were right. saying before you were talking about how this kind of just is the way that it is with the culture here do you think this kind of goes hand in hand with um maurice's seemingly infinite tenure with his eight years of whatever and you know wheeler just kind of not getting questioned a lot and what people have always talked about as being a very loyal organization do you think these things kind of all have sort of there's a bit of a correlation there between all these different random things there. Yeah. I mean, I think there is something to be said about loyalty for sure. I mean, you know, Blake Wheeler uh, at one point probably took less money in, in his one contract before he signed his last one. And and then in his last, in, in the one he's currently on, um, you know, got market value, but also stayed in Winnipeg. And that says a lot about the, you know, the, that's where that argument about guys not staying here, um, can be countered with a guy like Blake Wheeler staying here. Here's an American-born player, could have gone and played for Minnesota with a Wild probably. I mean, would have probably had his pick of the litter, right, um, in terms of teams lining up to, to get him. He stayed here. Um, Mark Shifley took a team-friendly deal. I mean, let's, let's let, you know, if you look at that deal now, Mark Shifley is severely underpaid um, for what he brings to a team. Um, you know, a guy like Nick Ehlers probably could have got more money. I mean, just so skilled. And, and the only the thing that, that hurts him sometimes is the perceived lack of scoring in the playoffs or whatever. And obviously he doesn't have, you know, a lot of that, of course. But um, that he's more in the mix up for that, you know, in, in, in the way his own injuries. All the analytics kind of point to Nick Ehlers being the best player on this team. Um, and these guys aren't. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's interesting. It, you know, it kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit, at least when it comes to contracts. With with, kind of reminds me of the Pittsburgh situation where you know, like Sidney Crosby shouldn't be making eight point seven million a year. This guy should be making more than or just as much as Connor McDavid, right? I mean, that's the same with Evgeny Malkin. Like those guys should have gone, but they they all took money to make sure that they could win, and. I, again, I don't know if that played a part in line A wanting 10, 11, 12, however much million he wanted, right? You know, should, you know, I, I guess the question for fans to ask themselves is it, it was, was Patrick Line worth more than Mark Shifley? Was he worth more than Blake Wheeler? Um, you know, should he be getting paid more than what Shifley's making in his deal, six somewhat million dollars, right? A year. Should, should that, should Patrick Line be making four or five million dollars more than that? Um, you know, I think that is a legitimate thing and, and, and something at the same time, it's like, well, you know, are you going to be able to re-sign Mark Shifley again if you want to and, and pay him less than Patrick Line? And, and maybe you might be able to, yeah, um, maybe not. I mean, I think there is some loyalty from this organization in terms of guys who have not only pledged their future here, but also at some point taken a little less money to do so. 
Um, well, you know, let's not kid ourselves. The taxes here aren't great. I mean, these guys go to Florida, take less money and still walk away with more. So, um, yeah, I, I think there is a little bit of loyalty to guys that do. And I, but I think that's for any club. I mean, you see loyalty contracts. Look at what Brian Little made. Um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, most people, would, well, it's hard to say now, obviously, but, you know, even when before, you know, there was five years left on that deal and people were questioning if, if Brian Little deserved that money. Every team has a loyalty contract, at least one. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it, it's, it, 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 it's tough to answer. I mean, to me, it's, I think loyalty does play a part. I think it just, that's just natural human um, reaction to things, even, even in the business of hockey where, excuse me, loyalty shouldn't, maybe always play a part, but I think it does because, I mean, especially here, you need to be able to say that, hey, we signed, you know, re-signed these players. These players signed here. They committed, they pledged their futures here, whatever you want it is, right? And so, and, and like I said before, you know, I think Shovel Day Off is up against a little bit in that regard. I have a, a tiny, you know, I don't want to call it a tiny bit of sympathy, a little bit of, you know, it just, you understand it is difficult for Kevin Shovel Day Off to do his job here because it's a tough market. This is in Chicago where he came from as an assistant GM where, but at the same time, I mean, Chicago is a great place, great city, still cold in the wintertime. Um, you know, there's more to do there, obviously, but they built a winner there and, and, and some players went there. Um, I think that's the case for anywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's probably some truth to the loyalty thing. Um, uh, but at the same time, some of these guys have earned it too. I mean, Blake Wheeler has earned that defense from Paul Maurice. And I believe that because Blake Wheeler is a guy and you know, I'll never question it with him because I've seen it. He comes in every day, puts in all the work, stays on the ice just as long as anybody else um, leads, does whatever. I mean, he's the guy that'll do everything that he wants the other guys to do. Um, and, and that's just the way he's built. I mean, this is a guy who was born to lead in that way. And that's why he's the captain of this team. Mark Shifley in the same vein, right? Um, even other guys, Nick Wheelers, um, you know, we always talk about Shifley and Wheeler is kind of this, you know, tandem that, um, that, that can do. But uh, there's other guys too that have, you know, gone and, and, and not just, um, you know, they've, they've molded themselves in a way that, that makes them, that's made it work for them in, in, in this town and, and, and learn to kind of earn their keep and that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting question. Again, always tough to, to know if some of these things are true, but I do believe the loyalty thing does play a factor here um, just because it is a tough market and the, the more guys you get on board here, you know, the better it is to kind of brand yourself or, or to market yourself to, to free agents and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think there is. And then the other part of it is too, is there's just, there's these players that do, you know, these guys have always exhibited a certain way of, of, of playing the game that I think the organization and, and especially Paul Maurice have always liked. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like it's, it's, it's important where, cause yeah, hockey, it's a business, right. But you know, in any business, any job that you're in, in life, there's always the personal aspect of it too. Like you don't want your employees to get burnt. You don't want people who are, you know, very important stakeholders and everything your company, your business does to get wrecked by something that you do. Right. So, yeah. but do you think right now, again, a very black and white question that probably has a great answer. 
that if the organization was less loyal, we would have a more winning record, if that makes any sense in the past a little bit. Like, do you think that's it'd be more successful? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm asking. It's it's a good question because I think you can you can argue both sides of that again. Like, sure, if they were less loyal and didn't you know, let's say they, they, they kind of walked on Blake Wheeler and didn't resign and they'd have more money to sign other players. Um, but the flip side of that is, well, if, if you're just going to be a rotating, you know, this carousel for players and you just push them off, you know, at whatever, whenever you, you know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> as a player, I can imagine that you don't, because, you know, even at, even at my job or your job, or whatever, you don't want to always be viewed as an expendable, you know, asset, right? Um, and I think if you start setting that precedent in your organization where you're just going to churn through guys and go through and once you don't think they fit anymore, you know, you punt them, right? I, I don't think that necessarily works. Um, and you could probably argue that it has worked in some places. Um, uh, I can't think one on top of my head, but, you know, I think there is this, I think especially in a city here where you have to kind of, you have to, it has to be, what I don't know if you want to call it a family or whatever. I think you have to go a bit more above and beyond than say other teams that people, you know, players would just be more attracted to just, you know, based on location or, 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 or money or, you know, like when it comes to taxes and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think the Jets have to be a little more malleable when it comes to kind of how they run things here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, I mean, I, I think the gray area here is just that you can argue both sides of an argument like or of a question like that, because, you know, at the end of the day, um, yeah, I mean, I think players want to be wanted. Um, they don't want to, you, you don't want to be in a job where it's just like at a moment's notice, they could just replace you with something else. Cause then you're always just focused on, you're not always focused on the game and you're, you're focused on, uh, or at least part of your focus shifts to, I mean, you know, is this my last year here? Could I be gone at the trade deadline? I mean, that doesn't help at all. If you're a family guy, if you, if you had, you know, if you have a wife and kids now, if whatever it is, um, you know, I think guys want some sort of security, um, job security. That's why, you know, players want no movement clauses and stuff like that. And, and there's not always a ton of those given out, but it's why the big stars get them because they want to, to, they don't want to be moving all the time. You don't want to be, yeah, you just don't want to worry about that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it could work. I'm sure if you just, you know, signed every guy to a one-year contract and then every year you just brought new guys in and tried it over and over again until, you know, you, you kind of, you know, hit the right, you know, group of guys that, that would work and you win a Stanley Cup. But I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything long-term in that, um, you know, just by definition, of course, but also it, by like, you know, if that's the type of team you are, I don't think that ever would work out. You might win one cup and yeah, banners fly forever, but I, I don't know, like eventually you're just, you're going to be a GM who gets fired um, and then you're going to have to go back to a different model anyway. So um, yeah, it, it's a tough one to answer. I mean, it's a good question and one that I'm just not sure. Yeah, I, I think you can argue both sides, but I think here in Winnipeg, um, yeah, you have to build an atmosphere that that is attractive for players above and beyond just money and whatever, because, you know, guys have to feel wanted here, I think. And um, if they don't, I mean, yeah, you can obviously see 
the grass greener in a lot of different areas that aren't, you know, that aren't Winnipeg, sorry. Yeah, for sure. And it's, yeah, like you said, like it makes sense that it would, obviously you can argue both sides. Cause again, if you couldn't argue both sides, then we would know the answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> how do you think this kind of looks in like, so we're about a quarter way through the season. We're not quite there yet, but um, we're seeing, you know, a lot of, again, with the whole loyalty piece, you've seen a lot of these players and a lot of these staff members for quite a few years. So a lot of the stuff is not um, totally unexpected. Maurice defending Wheeler. Wheeler yeah. having a slightly slow start, even though he's still an elite winger kind of thing. How do you kind of foresee the rest of the season playing out in that sense, kind of building on what we've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with the lining stuff behind the team now, Rossovic behind the team now, I mean, you can look forward. You don't have to always look at that. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a coaching change here unless things get really bad. And, and, and especially during a pandemic where money's tight, you're not getting any gate revenue. This isn't the team that's going to be firing coaches or GMs just to keep paying them anyways and, and then have to rehire other ones. I, 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 and I've thought about this quite a bit when it comes to, you know, Maurice being here for a while and, and Chevy being here for a while and, and those guys, you know, being kind of the, the face of this team when it comes to the, you know, the, to, to the management side of the game. Um, yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if the consistency is part of the plan as well. Um, just having that over, I mean, here's the system. It's not changing. This is what we are going to play. Um, I mean, obviously it changes with what Maurice wants to do. Um, but, you know, like this is the established culture here. And if you want to come here and play, that's the way it is. Um, you know, there's, of course, an argument made that they could have, you know, walked on Maurice and, you know, uh, for you know a few seasons ago or at least a couple of seasons ago I mean you're not gonna after winning 52 games and, and going to the western final you're not gonna fire your coach but the year after that when it just doesn't work out um maybe and then last year the thing for me last year it, it's interesting because I mean can you fire a coach in a GM when you kind of well you, can you fire a coach when you give them you know you you lose the right side of your defense and you lose Dustin Bufflin and you don't really replace him with anything. Like to me, that wasn't really on Maurice at that point. Um, I, I don't, I, I would argue you didn't have a lot of good pieces to play with. I mean, you, you're playing with guys off the waiver wire. I mean, a lot of guys last season never should like Lucas Abisa wouldn't play this year because of the players that they have now. Um, but that wasn't the case last year. I mean, and there was just nothing there. There was nothing. They, they were they were the cash strap team. They had to pay line. They had to play Connor um, before the year started, and those all, all bled all the way through training camp. And so it makes it difficult to do that. So can you even blame Kevin Shovel Day off? You know, my argument has been, well, yeah, but you know, you probably could have still because you know you could foresee these things happening. So you make the moves. Um, or you do what you have to do to kind of figure things out before then, before everything kind of hits the fan and, and that. But yeah, um, yeah, the way that the season's going, I mean, to me, uh, you can't really argue with the, the record right now. Uh, you, you can say that most of their good record is because the Ottawa Senators, and they're going to play them a couple more times uh, coming up here. Uh, you know, Thursday, tomorrow night, Thursday, and then on Saturday. But, um, you know, I, I think 
the addition of Pierre-Luc Dubois probably is going to settle this team a little bit more than, um, you know, I think once they get it right and once they figure out how he works, how he fits into the lines, like, you know, just getting the lines set, getting the right pieces with him, where he fits on the power play, um, all those things, that's going to take a few games. I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. This is, you're asking a lot of a guy to kind of just fit in and start scoring goals, um, even with the talent that he has. And he might even just do that based on sheer talent alone. Um, but I think the Jets are still probably well positioned. I, I know, I know that their defense isn't great. Um, um, I get that, but they have such good, you know, they have a great goaltender, great goaltending tandem. I mean, Connor Helbuck hasn't put up his Vezin numbers from last year, but at the same time, I mean, they've still won games. He's won games. He's kept them in games where, uh, again, so those things are all still there. And Lauren Persuas is having a better season than the games that he started. Um, so I think that that's important. I mean, you know, you, you have your goaltending right, and you have your forwards probably right now too. And I, I just think it's going to take some time to figure out that. I think, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, the season will ride a lot on, you know, can the defense step up? Can they figure it out? Will Tucker Pullman be better than, than, than Nathan Beaulieu, who I expect would come out first over Logan Stanley? Um, you know, can they get those pairings right? Can Josh get back to the game that he can play, Josh Morrissey? Because um, we haven't seen the best of him. And, and honestly, we haven't really seen the best of him for more than a year now. Well, two seasons, this season and, 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 and last season too. And he, he admitted to him uh, last season wasn't as great as, and I'm sure if you asked him now, he would admit that this season hasn't been his best start either. Um, probably doesn't help him that he's playing with Nathan Beaulieu. Um, and, and that's been kind of the struggle because he hasn't had Jacob Truba now for a couple of seasons. And those two were really good together. And, you know, the, the best game that Josh played this season, ironically, is is the one where, you know, Vili Heinle was his, his defensive partner. So we'll see if that becomes a thing. I still think Tucker Pullman goes into that spot first and, and then they go from there. But, um, yeah, I think they're well positioned in this division um, just because of how bad Ottawa is and, and the struggles that Vancouver is having. They've shown they can beat Calgary more than they lose to them. Uh, I, I think they can beat Edmonton. <clears throat> and they can also lose to Edmonton. But I think Edmonton just has such a problem on their back end and in goal that it, it's just that that's going to be difficult for them to overcome. Um, and, and then you have Toronto and Montreal. And I think that's the biggest test. Like, you, you know, you've played Toronto once this season, lost to them, and, and you haven't played Montreal yet. And those are the kind of the two teams kind of running away with the division right now, or there's the two horse race as it were. Um, so that's where I, you know, I think those will be the interesting tests when they start playing those teams um, because everybody else is losing to them. You know, if the Jets can win against them and, and keep doing what they're doing against the other teams and they're in a good spot. Um, but again, the analytics aren't great right now. I mean, even, you know, you look at last night, there's been some good games, of course, um, for the Jets, but they, they've mostly been bad analytically. And over the course of the season, that's always shown to, you know, it has a significant impact on the record. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting, but I think the Jets still have that kind of, I don't know if Trump card is the word to use anymore, given the last four years in America there, but, um, you know, they have that, that goaltending tandem that few teams have, arguably they have the best goaltending in, in, in the North division. Um, you know, somebody might make the case for Carey Price and, Jake Allen in, in, in Montreal. Um, 
but uh, you know, I would still argue that 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 Winnipeg has the best goaltending duo right now, and so um, that that's always going to help the Jets. It helped them last year when they were atrocious defensively. Um, there, it, you know, it, it, the only reason why the Jets were in the playoffs last year, um, and I know it was a 2014 format, but they would have missed out on that too, if not for Connor Hellebuck. So, um, as soon as those guys stay healthy, um, I think the Jets have a pretty good. I think they're well positioned to, to be in the third or fourth spot in the, in the division. That's all they need to get in the playoffs. And then from there, who knows what happens? So um, I, I think with all the lining hoopla over with and all that, one, once Paralyptical gets settled in the lineup, I think there'd just be a more of a focus on hockey and less on kind of those outside uh, distractions or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it perfectly. Yeah. It's kind of just time will tell, but yeah. Perfect. Great. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to come join me today. It was great. Um, Love when we could have these chats and talk about all these different things, especially from someone who um, has a little bit more insight than someone who sits on their couch and uh, yells (laughs) at the TV. Only a little bit more. I mean, (laughs) that's the thing. Like, you know, we have a little more insight because we're there all the time. Right. But I mean, there's people who who are on Twitter that I, you know, got great points. Right. I mean, people watch the game with an analytical mind or whatever. Um, that, that see things uh, that I don't always see, right? I mean, you know, there's, it just, it, it's part of the game. And the only thing that I provide is a bit more context because you, you're in the room, you, you interact with these players. And, but even now though, you don't even do that. Like this year is such a weird year because like what we're doing now over Zoom, that's the only interaction that we get with players and it's rarely one-on-one. You don't get to really, you know, just to see the interactions within the room especially on like a practice day where you're allowed in kind of all the players are coming off the ice. You don't get to see a lot of that. So yeah, it's a little different to, you you don't get the same read of the room as you normally would, but yeah, it's uh, a weird year and yeah, uh, it'll keep going and COVID's not going away anytime soon yet until, until we get these vaccines. So it'll continue to be this way, but yeah. Yeah, and as soon as those vaccines start getting pumped up, I'm not going to the government of Manitoba website, going to Scott Billick's Twitter. So, (laughs) (laughs) super. Thank you so much, Scott. Much appreciated. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Kurt Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast. 